0: in the world girls girls won the world girls won
1: girls won the world Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Juicy Bits. I... This is Jen Gorecki. I uh, am so excited to welcome our very special guest today, primarily because we've been chatting for the past twenty minutes uh, before we even started recording. So I have this feeling that the conversation is going to be really rich and really real. The person who I'm talking about is Humaira Falkenberg, and this bio that I'm about to read—I need ever like you're just going to have to really listen to this bio. So. Humaira is the principal of Jedi Outdoors. She provides anti-racism and inclusion coaching to nonprofits, outdoor organizations, and private enterprises. She's been doing this for more than 20 years and approaches all of this with an intersectional approach, working with companies who want to weave justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion into the core of their business model. Okay, so not only... Is she the principal of Jedi Outdoors? She's also on the board of the Pacific Northwest Professional Ski Instructors of America. She's a level one PSIA and level one AASI instructor, an alpinist, a ski mountaineer, a kite surfer, an all around outdoor enthusiast. I'll add an all around awesome human. And also she just led the first ever inaugural on snow Jedi training in North America hosted by, um, uh, Towsky Valley with Deb Armstrong. And her motto is when you invest in me, I invest in others. <laughs> welcome to juicy
0: bits jen thank you for such a warm uh introduction and lengthy too uh it's a pleasure to be here thank you so much
1: I mean, when well, the pleasure is all mine, it's when whenever people send me bios, I always think about like, well, how can I kind of shorten it so that I don't have to read the whole thing? And I was looking at your bio this morning and I was like, oh, no, there's nothing to cut. There's not a single thing that I'm going. I mean, I'll add my own little bit, but there's nothing to take out. Um, it's it's really impressive what you do and what you've been able to accomplish. And, and you know, just from uh What I know about you, it seems like you've really been able to blend your love of the outdoors and Jedi work together, which is such, um, I would say, like a unique and innovative approach in snow sports. Uh, And I'm curious, why did you decide to go down this life path and and who or what has inspired you along the way?
0: You know, uh, Jen, for me the connection to outdoors and outdoor spaces um really started very early in my life as a as a child and I really um saw what it did for my spirit um the more time I spent outside the healthier I was and mentally physically um and I, I was very present when I'm outside. I'm really very present. I'm consciously in the moment. Um, and so, you know, this love of the outdoors was really put into the soil very early in my life. Um, and as I progressed in my, um, outdoor career, um, <clears throat> whether it was climbing or hiking or backpacking, um, you know i had this experience um in my mid-20s where i was looking to go to a national park in the united states and i had read some comments about exclusion of minorities in national parks and um and i was really shocked at that and i It penetrated deep into my skin, into my bones. Um, And then that really started my journey about how to cultivate inclusion in outdoor spaces so that everyone feels included. Um, Yeah, and so that's how the merging of my outdoor activities with inclusion work, really began. I really see that as a major milestone in my life where the gears started uh, sinking and I began seeing the bigger picture. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what, um, what started first or were they, were, was your, you know, you're quite accomplished um, as an outdoors person, What did that kind of uh, progression happen tangentially to your career in um, in doing the 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 Jedi work or were they were they were were they separate and then came came together? Like, I'm just curious over the last 30 years how you were able to um, develop both of those skill
0: sets. So, Jen, that's a really excellent question. And it's a question I actually haven't been asked before. Um, so I'm giving it some pause and thought to seeing how those two work streams came together. Right. Um, and I think the Jedi work really came out of a need because Mm -hmm. I was participating in outdoor organizations, whether it was volunteering or as a participant or helping to lead trainings, Uh, like such as crevasse rescue or, um, you know, backcountry skiing or what have you, or climbing or mountaineering. And what I continue to see in those spaces, and I'm speaking specific to United States. I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about my experience in other parts of the world. I'm I'm talking specifically to, to United States within North America. Um, and I experienced um, what would be barriers to entry in outdoor spaces, and I knew that I wasn't the only one, um, particularly in conversations with other women, because that, you know, it's a identity that I have. I identify as a woman. I'm also a person of color. Uh, Another identity I have is I'm an immigrant. English isn't my first language. Um, And so I really saw like like, why am I the only immigrant woman of color, someone who speaks English as a second or third language in these spaces? And yet I'm deeply committed to the environment and stewardship Mm -hmm. and conservation. why do people like me not get reflected in the broader landscape? And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to do something about that. <laughs> <laughs> and you have, and you certainly have. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, a lot of it is also con- uh, um, conversation with bringing my peers along with me, right? And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a for me I I really see it as a as a path of growth as a path of evolution. How do I as an individual continue to improve myself in my relation with community? Right. Yeah.
1: Well, and it it um it it appears that you just reached a huge milestone with that, with this first on snow Jedi training that happened this year. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that because I've, I'm quite familiar with Jedi trainings. Obviously we know what it's like to be on snow, but you've done something really unique in bringing them together. And I would love if you could share with our audience, you know, what, what you were able to facilitate this winter.
0: Sure. so the training was hosted by tau ski valley uh, under the leadership of david norton and Bert skull um, and it was facilitated with deb armstrong who's an olympic gold medalist um, in gs and uh and of course you know true support of me to um to be there um and so I have been in the snow sports industry for quite some time and you know separately there are these educational trainings that happen in a boardroom or on zoom Mm -hmm. or in offices but very rarely like it hasn't been done to take the training and put it on snow because on snow we love being on snow we love gliding whether it's skiing or snowboarding or with a bike ski or however you want to move on snow. We love to do that. We love to be outside. And when you are in your element of moving in a fashion you love, that's a great environment to learn in and grow in, right? And so, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of exercises that I have generally done with organizations in a boardroom or a conference. I was like, how to adapt those for on the snow? And it was a conversation that really started with Deb Armstrong and she and I, we sat down and we talked about like how to put a curriculum together for snow sports industry. And that would be meaningful right so came up with a number of exercises to do on snow um working on precision in language um differentiating equality from equity so yeah i mean that was that was the that, that's how it started jen <laughs>
1: yeah well, there is, um, there is a, a YouTube video and we will put this in the show notes um, so people can access that. Um, and one of the things that's in the video was one of the exercises where um, people were told to get out of their skis and then they had to move around and try to get into other people's skis. And I've... Do you want to talk – I mean, was, it, was there anything remarkable that came from that or any, anything that you were able to glean from that, like a, an aha moment, watching people have to – you know, to be able to link that. Like they know the, – these people inherently understand the problems of not being able to get your ski boot into someone else's ski bindings. Like they know that. But did you see anything where they were – then there was these aha moments of like, oh, and that's how that relates to Jedi,
0: Exactly. You know, uh, it it was wonderful to watch these aha moments where some people were really struggling with a really large boot, uh, putting into like a binding that's set for like a 22 mondo, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're like, huh. And, you know, the exercise was really related to how often people will conflate equality with equity mm. right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. equality would be giving everyone a ski and e- equity would be giving everyone a ski that fits to their boot right right and yeah. and and it really became very obvious to them like oh you know yep. we, we all have inherent differences and, um, and that there is, we need to have precision in our language, uh, about equality and equity, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: So when, when you say precision in our language, is there, you know, a, a sort of, um, something that's, that strikes you frequently that you, um, wish that people understood differently or, or wish that people could use different language. I'm just curious when, when you use that term precision in language, what it is that you're referring to without, I'm sure there, I mean, there's so much, right. But um, for our audience, I'm wondering if there's an example that would really be able to elucidate that for them.
0: Sure. So equality, like oftentimes when we talk about equality, right. It's uh it's a parsing of resources equally. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in equity, it's parsing the resources based on need. Yeah. Right. And as you dig deeper into inequitable systems that we have in society, whether it's housing, legal, or educational, or healthcare, um, you know, there are um, systemic and institutionalized inequities created over time right for various individuals Mm -hmm. um and so that exercise related to skis is a point of entry into that broader discussion does that make sense yeah
1: yeah oh it it absolutely does and it is like it's um i feel like in, in the course of my career and even long before coalition snow because prior to coalition i worked in outdoor ed and i was in academia Um, people didn't like it when you use the word equity because they didn't quite understand it and they were more comfortable with the word equality. And so when you, even being a woman using the word equity uh, was something that could really challenge people in a way that you're not even meaning to challenge them at all. But it really does uh, require us to examine, I think these taken for granted assumptions around what it is that women or anybody who doesn't hold all the power and privilege, what it is that we are striving for. And we're not actually striving for anything that's necessarily equal. I I think that's, you know.
0: uh, Agreed. Um, Now you could even look at it in the context of, if we're speaking about gender, right. If we're talking about gender with respect to men and women um, and, or. I'm just using it as an example, um, separating just men and women uh, and, and that 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 also is not all inclusive with respect to gender. Right. Being my, certainly, being certainly. My of my words with respect to that. Um, you look at office spaces that at some point in our in, in U.S. Um, history did not have separate areas for women to breastfeed right? Yeah.
1: Well, you, um you've said that um, our relationship with the outdoors is another advancement in civil rights. And I would love, love to hear you talk more about that because I don't think that there's a lot of people who put those two together, civil rights and the outdoors. Um, and I would, but you clearly have decades of experience with those two, two particular things. Can can you speak a little bit more to that
0: yeah and i would say not just a a, a civil right it's actually i i view it as a human right human right mm-hmm. i view it as a as a human right where um we have um this connection with nature um that it, and it doesn't have to be like in big national parks or big remote glamorous places it can be in a city park. It can be Mm -hmm. in your home garden. It can be nourishing plants at home. It can be um, taking a daily walk outside your neighborhood or in your area. Um, And when I see it in the form of a civil right, a human right, um, speaking again, uh, with respect to in the United States, you know, there they, we've had a history of segregation in outdoor spaces. Right. right? You can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, um, when you look at a lens of housing segregation and housing development, particularly post sixties, right. Um, you look at where the green spaces are and where the green spaces are not, right? Air quality, water quality, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Those are all civil rights. Those are all human rights, access. Um, There's there's a reason why public infrastructure is called civil infrastructure, right? Mm Yeah, it's, it's in our fabric of our society. And that includes green spaces. It includes our rivers and our oceans and our mountains and our city parks, you know, and our community gardens. Um, and to be able to have that con- deep connection with with nature. Um, and, you know, my mom had it and has it, you know. Mm -hmm. love of love of outdoors yeah
1: well it it seems um you know I I only have you know 10 years under my belt with coalition and then about 10 years on the educational side of things but I feel like the outdoor industry is evolving a little bit um, now in the sense of recognizing a fuller a broader scope of what being in the outdoors looks like and what it means. And, and for so long uh, what was represented was quite myopic um, and actually exclusionary when, when you think about it, like what does it, the, the, the archetype of a true outdoors person is something that has required significant access, um, access to vehicles, access to resources, access to gear, access to education uh, that not everybody um, has or necessarily even wants, right? Like that's one way to approach existing in the outdoors. But there is this, this broader understanding that somebody who spends time in their city park is as a legitimate outdoors person as somebody who does a through hike. And I, I feel like um, when we get to that point where that, is, that it becomes the uh, dominant narrative in the outdoors, then the outdoors will be more inclusive. But if we continue down this road of like only the people with the greatest technical skill um, ability to travel around the world and into some of the most remote um, locations that that like we're just going to continue to exclude people through those narratives.
0: Yeah, uh, you are, Jen, you are absolutely spot on. And so to the extent that the outdoor industry can widen the aperture of lens of what it means to be outside, Right and Mm -hmm. visually show it in its magazines and so on and so forth and people can hear it use other senses right of what it means and looks like and have it be celebrated now Mm -hmm. that's not to say that you don't celebrate the wonderful accomplishments of people doing amazing physical feats and traveling absolutely to remote places Mm -hmm. not at all that doesn't don't it's not what I'm suggesting is not that you take away from that, but that you, in fact, you yeah. add to it, you add mm-hmm. to it. And you also celebrate those who may not have the financial wherewithal to um, dress up in, you know, thousand dollar gear, or two thousand dollar gear and be able to go walk outside their neighborhood. Or go yeah. for a walk in in their local park. You know, doesn't have to look like that. Yeah. No, I mean
1: there there truly is enough sand for everyone. <laughs> like we can all play in the same sandbox, right? Like it's it's big enough. It's this glorious huge world for everyone. Um, but since we're talking about uh, outdoor experiences, do you have do you have a favorite out of the course of your entire lifetime? Do you have a, a moment? or a, a trip or, um, a, you know, a particular particular time in the outdoors that really rises to the top for you?
0: Wow, that's a really tough question. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: and it wasn't on the list of what I sent you. I'm sorry, it just came to me. Oh, um,
0: it, it's okay. You know, I think one of probably one of my most remarkable and different experiences, experience, is um, I walked the coastline of South Africa. Oh, um, you did. <gasps> I don't know, I think it was probably some 15 or so years ago, maybe, no, more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, almost 20 years ago, uh, yeah. walked walked the coastline and um, we had hired a Kosa guide native Uh policeman um and walked yeah that was really truly a remarkable experience um and it was at a time how long did that take you how long did that take it took us close to a month and a half maybe okay to walk the Mm -hmm. coastline and we stayed in local villages every night Mm um and Um, it was, um, it was just really very, a different experience than my travels, for instance, in Asia or Europe or in Central America, um, or even in North America, for that matter. Um, it was just really different. And it was a, a a period after apartheid, uh, Mm -hmm. South Africa. Um, and I remember the last day, our kosa guide who is uh black who is african right tribesman from uh kosa um and we were hitchhiking back into town and we were picked up in a van for in a big van and yeah. um and you know i i struggle with this the the kosa man, Kosa man, he was subjected to sitting in the back of this van where the luggage would be. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all three of us looked at each other, um, and it was we were pressing on time, and you mm-hmm. we, we where we had to be. And we also saw this immediate injustice. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's really painful because I bet looking back on it, I bet you might have some regret about how mm-hmm. the whole thing went down.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew and it fact, the, and I, it, I knew it in the moment, you know, Jen, I knew yeah. it in the moment. I knew, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it in the moment. And um, we all knew it in the moment. Yeah, because our COSA guide, I revered him, you know? Yeah. Revered
1: him. Looking, looking back on it, do you, do you think, and I, you know, I've spent so much time in Africa. So this really speaks to me a lot. Um, looking back on it, do you think that there's something you could have done di- differently? Or was that just the way that it was at that moment, that part, particularly in that um, moment in time in South Africa, right after apartheid?
0: you know i i think we could have pushed the envelope with the people and said thank you but our guide sits with us yeah you know yeah this is our guide our guide sits with us and um so i have regret for that jen you know regret
1: yeah oh no I, i definitely i can empathize with that a lot um well, one of the things that we were talking about before we started re- recording was um, the ability that different people have to actually speak up and and say things, right? And, mm-hmm. and for me, I know that as a cisgendered white woman, I have an opportunity to speak out about things that... Um, you know, someone like you who identifies as a woman of color, as an immigrant, um, that you may not be able to do so comfortably. And uh, I'm curious if you would be open to talking a little bit about what you wish you would see in those spaces of privilege in terms of certain people speaking and other people not like knowing, knowing that there are legitimate consequences for any human who says anything, but those consequences vary. Um, do you have a, like, if, if you were, you know, if you were the boss of the whole world and you could, (laughs) (laughs) I like to think about that sometimes I'm like, Oh, that'd be good. But, um, but no, like if, if, if there was, if there was sort of a a place where we could get to that would really create a more equitable, just world. Um, do you, do you know what that might look like in terms of people using their voices?
0: Yeah. Great question, Jen, uh, really thoughtful question. Um, and I, t- I, I think about that actually often. Um, and and that is actually one of the reasons why you know i i do the jedi trainings right so that mm-hmm. elevate the consciousness of my community as a whole so that we're living in a more just world um yeah and so there are degrees of things that individuals and systems can do so if I, who identify as, you know, a a woman and a person of color, woman of color, an immigrant, English is not my first language. Um, And I happen to be amongst people who have more privilege than me, right? Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that those individuals can do is they can Elevate my voice when I'm speaking mm-hmm. and say, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I I see what you're saying. There's a lot of value to that. Um, so if, if there's agreement there. Another thing is that um, don't leave the burden of education on these subjects on me. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you yeah. belong to... A series of identities that holds power. You should leverage that as a as a conscious being to educate others, right? Yeah. Um, so that I'm not the individual who's taking the arrows of vile words being directed at me, right? Um, please help share the burden. That that's yeah. huge. That's huge. And then to work on dismantling systems that create inequities. Right. And that doesn't that doesn't mean that you go around and destroy society's institutions. Not at all. It's like, how do you work to recognize that some systems are set up so not everyone gets to participate? And what are you yeah. individually doing to break that apart? You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Those are all really. I mean, I, thank you, thank you for that. These. <clears throat> yeah. All those things that we can do. Yeah. That we and, can do every day, every day, and like it can be the smallest little thing. It, it doesn't have to be this massive, moving mountains. Like you can actually take take tiny action every day. Um, it's that you know, sort of that metaphor of um, the drops.
0: That create the ocean, you know exactly. And I I call it micro habits. These are my little Mm. daily micro Mm -hmm. habits of justice. Um, I like that. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. They're my little micro habits. Um, I don't have to go take on big projects, and these are really small daily things I can do. Um, Yeah. And that could be elevating someone who's been historically excluded in snow sports to elevate their voice, um, giving them opportunities to come along on snow clinics um, where they otherwise would not even have access to. Um, yeah, You know, because, hey, you've got privilege, use it, you know, 100 percent,
1: 100 percent. Uh, so one of the things that we haven't really talked about yet is, um, your age. And I feel comfortable saying that because I'm not that far behind you. I'm just a few years behind you. So this is actually a topic of conversation that I have a lot. And it's, it's something that I think about a lot too, because, I, um, I'm, I'm sure you, like I do feel fantastic. We we feel like physically and mentally Feel probably at the top of our game, um, and and yet there is this um, reality that you have to face that society looks at you and you're older, you're old or older, you're not young. And I'm curious if you've if if you've had any of that reflection around being a woman in the outdoors of fit, you know, at the age of fifty. If this is something that you think about or or is it something that hasn't um that really hasn't been uh something that has given you pause
0: yeah so uh one thing's for certain we all age and yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, we all, we all age and um so i feel very comfortable in my body in my physical body um feel mm-hmm. comfortable with having my hair be completely gray and wear it long and be able to talk about that I'm also balding. And Um, and that, you know, uh, in terms of my physical capabilities of what I was doing in my twenties and thirties and forties is considerably different perhaps at my fifties. Although I really haven't like this, it was since i've turned 50 i haven't had a chance to really test that yet Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's coming it's going to come when i'm i head to kilimanjaro uh this year um but that being said um you know i had a very unique experience jen when i was backpacking the sierras some 12 years ago and i had this maybe half hour connection on trail with this woman uh, named Magdalena. And she was at that time, probably in her sixties. She was a more mature woman and she was backpacking with another more mature woman Kay, and I was probably in my late thirties and um with in on a backpacking trip with a bunch of guys in the high sierras for like a a a 10 week 10 day backpacking trip and instead of hiking out with the guys i opted to linger back in trail so that i can walk back with these women Um, we just had an initial connection there and you know looking into magdalena's eyes and spending time with Kay, just walking those couple of miles together, I was able to see my future self in them. I saw that, oh, these physical activities don't just live in youth. They continue on for a maturing lifetime. And that gave me a glimpse into my future self that, oh, this is how one ages so beautifully and gracefully or can, you know, depending on what one's, um, what one's will and desires and, and outcomes end up being. But that, you know, meeting Magdalena and Kay um, just gave me that glimpse into my future self. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and it, and that really speaks to how important it is to have a wide range of mentors and also just people represented in the outdoors and in society in in general. Because life doesn't stop until it stops. Mm-hmm. So you want to? I, I for me, I I I want to have so many more years doing all of these these things. Um, I'm curious today. What advice would your mature self give a 25 year old you? Mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I would. The advice I would give is uh, take more risks. Mm. Take more risks for sure, um, and the and and the one third rule, right? Which is mm-hmm. do one third of the stuff that's like super easy one third that's a bit of a stretch in your life and then one third that's really risky and has high consequence of possible failure but work hard and push yourself for that risk um and I think I did not I came to that late in life uh in terms of thinking about taking more risks um and part of it is also you know my immigrant experience, right, uh, mm-hmm. where it's like you know, you stay on the straight and narrow, and you go into academics, and you do this, and don't take a lot of risk uh, unless it's highly calculated risk and you're guaranteed success. And uh, mm-hmm. and so I'm, you know, I'm mindful of that immigrant view into taking risk. Yeah. From, speaking yeah. for myself right yeah but I think I should I should I would give my 20 year old self take more risks <laughs> take more risks yeah <laughs> take more risks that is
1: it is in yeah that the comfort level people have with risk and and is it I'm comfortable with highly calculated risk that I think will be, you know, put me in a position of being very successful? Are you, you know, comfortable with physical risk of pushing yourself in the mountains? Is it, is it risk of, it doesn't actually matter how this turns out, I'm going to take it. Like it's, there's so many ways to look at at risk. It's different for everyone, right? It is.
0: And, you know, it also depends on, with respect to risk, like how your individual needs are being met. So if you are struggling with safety and security and food and your basic primal needs are not being met, you know, taking risk there has very severe consequences versus someone who's in this, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of self-actualization and taking risk is considerably different. So, and I'm, and I'm mindful of that, you know, I'm mindful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we've, we've definitely over the last 30 minutes or so talked about your life's work and, um, and how diverse that, that work is. I'm curious if there's something or multiple things, um, that you wish people knew about your life's work that may not be apparent on first glance.
0: Mm. Mm. about my life's work that may not be visible on first glance. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have a lot of like stories built in my life that lend to mm. my life's work, particularly in the justice, equity, diversity and inclusion realm. Um, yeah. Like, for instance, I went to an all boys school very early on in my life. You know, when I took the Harvard Implicit Bias Test, um, you know, many years ago, um, I had implicit bias toward engender. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. and you know and I talk about it very openly and very freely because you know even though. I do this work, I'm not sitting on some high and mighty platform like, oh, I am an evolved being, you know, I do (laughs) have to scrub my teeth on a daily basis. And I, too, have to scrub my practices and my micro habits on a daily basis. Um, Mm -hmm. and And I'm also on a path of evolution and growth, right? And so um and so when that uh gender bias was revealed to me, it was like, huh, I wonder where this comes from. And I did a lot of unpacking and looking back into how I arrived at a perspective that, you know, like I found it um I found it like why why do you see not enough women in math and sciences? You know, my background mm-hmm. is in math and sciences, and I was like, "There's n- there's no barriers to women in math and science." Like, how <laughs> could you not? <laughs> like, what do you? Doing? And I and I think about it How? I, yeah, exactly. Like, I I was here. I was you know with my <laughs> blinders on, right? And yeah. so I had to do a lot of unpacking related to that <laughs> that side of my being. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, It is. I mean, it. It. But that's good. I. I. I appreciate those moments, right? Mm-hmm. Where where you have that self reflection, and and you have, and you have to say to your yourself, you got to work on this. Like mm-hmm. this is something that you need. You need to understand why you think this way, and you need to to work on it. And that is you know, like you said, that path of like working, like evolving, you know, it's not like there's not necessarily this end goal, like you're going to get one place and then you're done. It's just this constant um, growth that is so, I mean, I find it's so critically important in the world that we live in. Like we live in this hyper-connected world where information is passed so quickly now that being able to, to, to be on that pathway of evolution is is critical to our success
0: and to our happiness, I think. Mm hmm. hmm. Spot on, Jen. Spot on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How I mean, but that's also part of being a leader. Right. And having leadership. Right. Yeah, I think self-examination, so self-examination and looking at, you know, how do I continue to grow? And as long as I continue to grow and evolve, I have also an opportunity to commit to the growth of other people as well, you know, and that right. to me is leadership.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's certainly, you know, a, a component of servant le- leadership, because if, if you look at that in particular of how do you really provide for the people who are in your your community if you're not doing that self-reflection and if, if you're not constantly evaluating how you're showing up as, as a servant leader, then you're, then you're doing a disservice to the very people who, um,
0: you're working with. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely spot on a servant leader shares power, uh, puts mm-hmm. the needs of the people around them, uh, first and helps them develop and perform as highly, uh, as highly as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and servant leaders right they commit to um being part of something transformational right mm, yeah and i love yeah. i love that i love i yeah. love that um yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> this is freaking back so i'm like going been into this like rabbit hole of all these things that I worked on, um, in my, uh, gra- graduate degree and just thinking about all, all these things and also just, yeah, like the type of person I want to be, the type of leader that I, I want to want to be, um, helpful conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. I have one more question for you. Cause we're kind of running out of time. I mean, I kind of feel like Definitely, this is not going to be the last time that we talk. I feel like the (laughs) next time is going to have to be in real life. Yes. And it's going to have to be like a full on hang uh, because, yeah, I just, there's a lot, we have a lot, we have a lot to go over and I feel like we have a lot of um, time to make up for, like the fact that this is our first conversation is a shame. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we have decades to make up for, but I will leave us with this, this last question that I, I really enjoy asking people so i hope that you enjoy being asked it um what do you never get asked that you wish you could answer Mm. Mm. because if you're if you're anything like me uh you're interviewed quite a bit and and you oftentimes find that you're asked very similar questions But there's all I always find like there's there's things that I want to talk about that maybe other people may not find as interesting or it doesn't come to them or, you know, maybe it doesn't fit fit the script. But is there is there anything that you wish people would would ask you?
0: You know, this might sound. So I'm going to uh, provide you two answers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give a little personal detail about myself. I begin my day, um, early in the morning, looking at dog and cat videos. Nice, (laughs) And it's, it's really a private piece of information. And the reason why I, especially it's dog videos in particular, I start my day is because it brings me so much joy. It's just this abundant, Unconditional joy and it hits the reset button for me every day. Mm. It is. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And then the other thing I think people um, don't know about me and I wish I often would get asked, but doesn't really materialize, is that I have a deep interest in the construction. like constructing homes and designing homes. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. And um, and looking at my physical space through the lens of how I occupy it. And, mm. um, you know, it's, it's not a part I get to talk about in my outdoor industry world or in my electric yeah. energy industry world, or, you know, the two, it just, yeah. But I have a deep passion there.
1: (laughs) Is it is that something that you that you do professionally or is it more on the on the passion, leisure side of things for you?
0: It's a passion and leisure side. It's not on a professional side, Mm -hmm. although uh, I've been asked about like designing homes or providing feedback professionally, but uh yeah no it's, it's it's a passion it's i mean i i really think about my space and how i occupy physical space and the spaces i'm in um mm-hmm. the discerning eye uh-huh. yeah, yeah yeah and how to make well how to make homes and buildings feel welcome feel like you're really comfortable in them yeah.
1: Well, I have to tell you, this does not surprise me at all given that your life's work is making the outdoors <laughs> feel welcome to everyone and that I'm serious and that the outdoor like the outdoors we call the outdoors home and and think about in, indigenous people and and that like the outdoors is not separate from us. Um it has never been separate from humans. Wilderness has, is a, a construct. It's never It's all there's always been um, this connection between human and the land, Mm -hmm. humans and and the land. So for you to be um, both impassioned by and conscientious around the walls that we put up around us that create that physical barrier from the outdoors that you would approach that with as much consciousness as you do with um justice, equity, diversity, diversity and inclusion in the outdoors does not surprise me. Like that just makes sense to me.
0: That's so beautifully languaged, Jen. Thank you. That's really beautifully languaged. And I loved how you talked about the walls around us. Um yeah, that yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank you for languaging that so well. <laughs>
1: it's it's my pleasure. I'm thrilled I was able to do that today. Um, I really I really am and i I want to thank you for taking the time to be on juicy bits podcast and chat with me and i'm I'm serious. I'm really looking forward to um, continuing these conversations and and continuing uh, building a relationship with you because since um since I've come to know that you are a human on this planet, I've been incredibly impressed with everything that you do. Um, And in my quest to have less humans in my life, uh, I'm always just looking for the, like the, 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 the cream of the crop that you want to keep around you. So um, I feel a little bit inspired to, um, add another person into my life if that's possible with with you to keep these conversations going and i want to thank you for all the work that you do in the industry and and being a role model um, to someone like me so thank
0: you jen thank you feelings very mutual and like i said earlier you know our it was just a matter of time that our paths would cross and um uh, it's a great pleasure to be here thank you so much um and a shout out to to you and the work you're doing Um, yeah, much gratitude for that.
1: Thank you. All right, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this very special episode of Juicy Bits. And um, if you want to hear more of things like this, definitely shoot us an email and maybe we'll do a part two another time. So thank you, everyone. See you next time.